0: Hello and welcome to the Green Shoots podcast, a conversation about intellectual property focused on what matters most to innovators right now. We discuss managing, monetising and protecting IP in the context of what's happening now in industry, IP law and beyond. I'm your host, Charlie Leslie, and I'm part of the IP team here at Appleyard Lees. Joining us today are Appleyard Lees patent attorneys, Simon Bradbury and Parminder Lally. Simon specializes in life sciences and has a particular focus on IP strategy for startups and SMEs. Parminder helps clients to protect their software and bioinformatics inventions. Both have worked with many successful high growth startups. Parminder and Simon, welcome to the podcast.
1: Hi, Charlie. Hi, Charlie.
0: If you're a startup and you need to develop your innovations, but also need to have funding to do so, how can you attract investment in these times?
1: sure i think some private uh, investors um have probably been a little bit spooked a little bit maybe scared of the uh of the market with everything going on with the uh, sort of covid-19 situation but i think there are still quite a lot of private investors out there who are still happy and uh, keen to invest in in you know good technology good startups and i think nothing necessarily has changed in the fact that you know a good startup or a good technology is still a good uh, investment choice um especially for those investors who you know quite frankly are looking at, at making some money but uh, looking for some you know a home for their their money to go obviously Interest rates are a um, historically low at the moment, and this is uh, this is obviously making some investors keener to take slightly riskier investments. I don't know what you what you think, Palminda. Yeah,
2: I was uh, I would agree with that. So it might be harder for some um, investors to part with their money for inventions or technologies which are a bit riskier in these difficult times. But if the technology is sound, if there's some good evidence to show that this is going to have some real world impact um, and and long-term prospects, then I think that private investors are still interested in, you know, as Simon said, parting with their cash, investing there because there's nothing else much to invest in at the moment. It can also be difficult for some entrepreneurs who are perhaps based in academic institutions or research institutions, such as universities, to obtain funding from the traditional sources. So from their universities, from their tech transfer um, offices within the universities or research institutions. But that doesn't mean that, you know, they should give up their entrepreneurial goals um, and, you know, not, not launch their startups. They just need to look elsewhere. There are Innovate UK grants still available and other government initiatives still exist. And there are growth funds that um, exist within um, different regions of the UK that can be used to support lots of different types of intellectual property. So not just patents, but other aspects. Some companies might be looking for money to fund an IP strategy or to look at prior art. So there are lots of different grants and funds out there to support those activities.
1: Yeah, I think also, um, there's still quite a bit of charity funding out there. So it, it could be maybe somebody like uh, Cancer Research UK, or, you know, specific uh, charities directed towards specific diseases, and they still have a pots of cash essentially in order to do uh, research. One thing that I have read about, or at least noticed in the um, press is that uh, I think charity donations have decreased a little bit second quarter of twenty. So, I don't know whether that might have a knock-on effect with you know those those projects or, or potential future research projects which are funded by these charities.
2: There are also quite a few large corporations or multinational companies who like to fund startups in working in their space. So, for example, some fintech companies might have programs that specifically support fintech startups, um, and that kind of thing still exists. So, if you just need to look out for them. And they exist in lots of different areas. So not just finance, but in other areas, there could be companies who are willing to support startups working in that space.
1: I think also the um, we touched on the uh, private investors. I think that there is still a lot of appetite for investing from private investors, not least because at least in the UK and maybe in similar other countries, there are schemes such as the Enterprise Investment Scheme or EIS which uh, means that you do get uh, quite substantial tax breaks from um, investing in in high risk startup companies uh, who are heavily dependent on on research and development. I think there's probably still money available as well, corporate funding, uh, you know, via the big banks or maybe syndication through uh, through uh, loans, etc. And just talking about you know the EIS tax savings, small startups or or any company really that's involved heavily with R and D can obviously get tax relief by using the R&D tax credit system in, in the UK.
2: I think you'll agree, Simon, that whatever approach a startup takes and whoever they decide to talk to about funding, they need the same material before they go and approach someone. So they need to, for example, have put together a business plan, much like many of the people who go up before the dragons on Dragon's Den they need to have thought through exactly what their business is aiming to do, how long it will take for them to for example launch a product on the market, and what sort of investment they're looking for and potentially what sort of equity they're willing to give up within their company.
1: I think I think it's a, it's a very good analogy with the uh, dragons den and you know you need to know your numbers. I think sometimes it's a little bit too easy For companies to get overexcited about maybe valuations and how quickly they can bring things to the market, but I think if you have a good business plan which is well thought out and with you know reasonable timings, then it's very easy for an investor to to come on board and and have a realistic expectation of when it's likely that they're going to have an exit, whether that's financial or whether it could be a you know an IPO or maybe a sale or a license to a, a larger company. And I have seen this time and time again where. Investors don't want to have to ask for a number of documents and go back and forth between the advisors. They have their own set of advisors. What they really want to see is a nice, tidy bundle or file which lays out everything very easily. And shows um, that the you know the company owns the rights in the IP, and also everything from maybe the company insurance documents through to um, maybe employment policies, etc.
0: And what can you do now to protect your IP and everything that goes with it when, say, budgets might be a little bit tighter or that funding is a little bit of short supply?
2: Well, thankfully, there are quite a few things that you can do that don't involve an attorney like Simon or I or an IP solicitor, but which can still improve your IP situation. Both Simon and I have worked in-house and we know that from our experiences that there are quite a few things that companies do when they have a- attorneys working in-house that just keep things ticking over within the company. So for example, having forms to enable inventors to capture their innovations or their ideas can really help to enable innovation capture so that when the company is ready to actually proceed with a patent, they've already got quite a lot of the information or the details of an invention already documented. And that kind of thing, those sorts of processes can really help to keep things going on an IP front within within a company, but that don't involve someone like me being involved. And there are a number of those sorts of processes to capture innovation and changes to a technology over time. That can really be useful at times like this when budgets might be tight, but employees want something to do.
1: I've worked through a recession and, you know, it's interesting. We we have a budget. Uh, Those budgets can be uh, maintained at the same level. They can be cut. But uh, more often than not, you have to try and do more with, with less.
2: Identifying competitors or potential partners, depending on what your business model is, is something that it's worth doing at an early stage within a company's lifetime, but also doing routinely because new competitors or new partners might pop up at different times. Another thing would be to identify important markets for your innovation, and it's never stopped being surprising to me when a startup approaches me about patents and I ask them, you know, where, where do you envisage your innovation being used or being, where do you think that you're going to launch this and what markets are going to be important to you? And they stutter or they pause and aren't quite sure. But for IP, IP rights are territorial rights and they link very tightly to commercial markets. And so the two need to be sort of thought of together. And it's it's always surprising to me when a company d- hasn't really thought about the economic side, about where they might go, because that's something that they really should be thinking about, because it sets up lots of different things, not least how much money they might need in order to enter those markets.
1: Clients don't appreciate that you want to be looking at protecting the market or the, in those countries where the product may actually be manufactured. And it could be maybe places like China, it could be places maybe like Taiwan, for maybe mechanical devices, for maybe pharmaceutical cases. It could be in India, again maybe China, maybe Mexico. So there's a whole lot to uh, to consider there. And I think in some respects, it's, it's our job to direct the client as to you know which countries we think uh, would be most beneficial for them to get protection. And also there's a another dimension which is enforceability. You know some countries. Um, maybe a great manufacturing hub, but actually it'd be very difficult to enforce those patents in those countries. So is it worthwhile actually filing protection there, especially if those manufacturing hubs are going to be importing into the main commercial selling areas, maybe such as the US, then if you have the US cover, then that may be sufficient.
2: Absolutely. On that point of sort of working with other companies to get a product on market or to manufacture something, something that companies can do now is make sure that if they are going down that route where they're collaborating they should spend a bit of time and some money on getting their collaboration agreements in place and getting those those agreements right both from the perspective of ip but also from other perspectives
1: yeah i've, I've come across this many times actually Pominda, uh, and it's it's quite interesting sometimes you'll you'll have a a new client or a new inquiry come to you and they're very keen to file a patent application and they, they want it filed ASAP. But you do a little bit of digging and after a couple of discussions, it's not very clear who actually owns the invention or who actually has rights to exploit the invention. So for them, it sometimes sounds a little bit odd that I recommend that, you know, if you're going to spend X amount of cash now, you're better off spending the money Sorting out your collaboration or your, your agreement with the, uh, the third party. Because unless you own the rights, you could get to a position where you file the patent application, but actually you don't, you don't own the invention. Um, and that creates a whole bunch of issues later down the line. If you do get the agreements right, there's no requirement for you to file a patent application now. And it could be that actually you've got the confidentiality provisions in that agreement also. So you can pick and choose when you, when you want to file the application, but at least the the chain of title uh, vests with you. So uh, you can be safe in the knowledge that that you own the invention. So when you file, or when you are ready to file and have the money to file, you are entitled to to get a patent.
2: That's another great way that you could protect your IP in these difficult times when Money might be in short supply. You don't have to file a patent application, of course, at this time. If you aren't collaborating with someone or you don't have some other confidentiality agreements in place and you aren't about to launch a product on the market, perhaps because it's not the optimal time to do so, then you don't have to rush to get a patent application. Of course, we would always recommend that filing a patent application at the earliest opportunity is a sensible strategy. But if you don't have an immediate push to reveal your invention, then you can save money or, or delay those costs for a little while by just holding back on, on those patent applications or at least deciding that some inventions should be patented now and some you could hold back for a little while
1: the other thing to think about when when considering patent filings is you know when do you file your applications it could be that actually there are three or four different patent applications you could file covering your your invention this is maybe particularly important in the in the biotech pharmaceutical space where you may want to file a patent application for your your base compound but actually over a couple of years you may have uh, new formulations new therapeutic indications, maybe dosage regimes or combination therapies. And obviously, it takes quite a while to get those drugs on the market because of the regulatory environment. So sometimes actually staging the patent filings can really help to uh, provide uh, adequate protection over the whole life cycle of uh, of the product. And if it is a, a drug that's going on the market, then we do also have uh, patent term extensions via, say, supplementary protection certificates, which can uh, which can further add to the uh, duration of the, the usual 20-year protection that a patent would normally confer.
0: So in this uh, current climate and everything that's going on, are there any IP-related issues that seem to be unique or more prevalent that you found?
1: Some companies have been pivoting their, their, their technology or their business offering in order to, to maybe survive in the short term and you know i don't know whether or not they will then revert back to what their original business was uh, looking at or what their original commercial strategy was i've seen this with a, a number of clients who have been looking at how they can utilize their own technology for maybe testing or treating, say, COVID-19 infections or, or related conditions. But um, it's interesting because I think many of them appreciate that actually it's not really on target for them as a company strategically. So they're, they're actually looking at setting up a new company to progress it, or they're looking at potential licensing opportunities with with other commercial partners. I don't know whether you found something similar, Palmindo.
2: Yeah, there has been quite a few pivots in the sort of mechanical space, I guess, where companies are have moved away from producing whatever they normally produce to producing things that are relevant to the current pandemic, so PPE or uh, equipment for hospitals and things like that, which is great because it's it's giving back in a difficult time to the community. It's a you know charitable thing to do, and it keeps people going. It keeps it gives employees something to do in these times. But how long is that going to last? Um, it's the plan to go back to producing things that they were producing before. Because while there may always be a need for ventilators, there's probably not going to be a need for the huge quantities of ventilators we're currently needing to supply. And I think that there's been quite a lot of rush to innovate and launch products like ventilators or um, new face masks and things like that, or even new ways of dispensing hand gel. And all of that is really good But it can mean that things that companies would ordinarily do might be pushed aside or put on the back burner. So, for example, due diligence on an IP front might just be pushed to the side or um, may not be as important at this time. But that could come back and bite. It could be that, you know, at the moment, no one is going to sue you for infringing their patents because it would not look so good. But when the pandemic dies down, that might not be the case anymore and then you could be in a tricky situation
1: i think pomeres is right about the due diligence and freedom to operate it's always at the uh it's always pushed to one side anyway because it tends to be quite expensive and sometimes it may identify uncomfortable truths and i think you know in the rush to try and find the sort of the, the magic uh, bullet that's one thing that certainly has been pushed aside at the moment
2: it's interesting as well that the pandemic has actually accelerated a lot of things that were in play already, or that existed already, so that their use is becoming uh, much more prevalent. So, digitization of things, um, or simple things like contactless payments, you know, are used much more extensively now than they were a few months ago, um, and that means that all the technology behind those sorts of things continues to be developed and and become important. And it's it's a little bit weird <laughs> that it's taken something like this to you know prompt people to do more online banking or, you know, online shopping and things like that.
1: I was I was talking with a client recently, and I'm not breaking any confidences here, but uh, I was recounting, I was once in, a, in an airport in the US and I was mesmerized by, there's a little device on a table which portrayed a, like a, a laser outline of a keyboard onto any surface and i was you know tapping you know tapping away on the surface and you think something like that maybe almost like a hologram of of a button that you might want to press maybe rather than the doorbell for example you know is is that is that what's going to be coming through in the technology because you don't want to touch any surfaces i mean it's um it's it's sort of you know fascinating that there are certainly technologies out there already but just tweaking them to get them a little bit more um you know in tune with what we need at the moment
0: Simon Puminda, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. No problem. It's been great.
1: Yep, it's been an absolute pleasure. Many thanks, Charlie.
0: Thanks for listening to the Green Shoots podcast by Appleyard Lees. If you have a question or issue you'd like our IP specialist to discuss on the podcast, then tweet us at appleyardlees or email us at ip at appleyardlees.com.